just get me because Bonnie has not only been working hard, but now she gets to play hard for a little bit. So this is the Karen solo time, but don't worry, she'll be back with her great laugh. I asked you all what you wanted to hear when I do these solo ones, and people really do like the true crime ones. So that's what you're going to get today. You're not going to get a lot of trauma, but you are going to get it from the insight of someone who, like most of our listeners, understands sort of the spiritual or church or upbringing in Christianity in America and how it would influence different, you know, events in people's lives. And this one, this true crime out of California is the epitome of that one. But before I get going, you know, the best thing you can do is please review our podcast, like stuff, follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all those things. And we really appreciate it. We love you guys. Don't forget, Send in your true funny stories because we've got to do some letter sods soon. And we really want to laugh at, laugh with you <laughs> about all your hilarious stories. It gives us life. So now let's get into this true crime story. It centers around someone named Chad Wallen Reed. Unbeknownst to me, there's a part of California that's pretty desolate. It's called the California Sierra, and it's away from civilization. This family, the Wallen Reeds, they're actually from Nevada, but they have a family cabin in the California Sierra area where it is super remote. In fact, their driveway path is gravel, etc., and it's a 100-foot drive to get to their little cabin. So they really enjoy going out to this cabin and bringing sometimes friends who camp on the property, and of course they bring their three children. So it is a father, a wife, and the three children. I'm not going to say the children's names. I will just use those monikers. But they have been going there for years and their family since the 70s. Everything is run off of a generator. And one of the important things to know is that there's no cell phone service. How do you live? That's all I want to know. But a lot of people appreciate that. And according to the family, they really like being cut off from those responsibilities during those small times that they're there. So this cabin has the father there, Chad, and he loves to talk about how he was an army ranger and that he is very into security. He is super into security of his own house and very protective of his family. They have, uh, they don't have like all the bells and whistles as far as places when you live in the suburbs, obviously, like ring cameras. But Chad, as an army ranger, like he says, he has a lot of guns. And once you hear all the family talk, I saw this on Dateline, and then I read about a lot of articles, 
there's a lot of fear in this family. They are always talking about how Chad is the protector and that he can protect them from anyone. For those of us who grow up in the church, this sounds pretty familiar to the Bill Gothard handout sheet where it's the umbrellas, where it has God and Christ at the top and then the husband underneath as a little umbrella, and he is protecting all his family. So Chad takes this very seriously. They are a conservative Christian family. But it was interesting just hearing even the children talk, just the fearfulness that they had and the words that they used seem hyper-fearful in many ways. Now, they had had their cabin broken into when they weren't there. They'd had it ransacked. It would be pretty familiar. If this is the area I'm thinking of, it is rife with drugs and growing things when it was illegal. Uh, Now it's legal in California, and there were a lot of issues. Well, there still are issues in that area, but it's not surprising that people would say, hey, there's an abandoned cabin. Let's go steal whatever we could out of it. So this family's place had been ransacked and broken into before. Um, I assume it's when they weren't there, but to anyone, that would make you feel unsafe, and especially to Chad, who feels that, again, he really needs to bring his military experience into these things. So when he is there protecting his family on a weekend of July 4th in 2011, He brought all his guns, including an AR-15, and his friends were there camping on the premises in a tent, and sometimes they would come up to the porch and sit and shoot the shit, as he says, and there was one time that when they had those friends over, they heard what was either yelling or fighting, sort of in the distance, but they felt it was on their property. And then they saw a spotlight coming from a car, and this really riled Chad up. And he got in his truck because they sped away right away. They sped away, and he drove to the edge of his property, but they were gone. And not only were they gone, but he had a line of those cheap solar lights that you can get for about five bucks that you just stick in the ground. One of them was gone, and there were footprints there. So he absolutely hated that sort of threat to the peace of his family. And this is when the family became really scared Uh, And the children were very scared, but they kept saying, it's okay, Daddy will protect us. Now, the next day, Chad wasn't there, and the mother was just there with the kids in the cabin. She saw what she felt was a Jeep drive halfway up the driveway, and you know what they experienced the night before. She was on the lookout. She made the kids hide, and she picked up one of the guns that they had at the cabin, and she was ready to do, she said, whatever she needed to do. But they backed up, and they drove away. So second incidents 
within two days on July 4th weekend where people are coming onto their property or people are making them feel uncomfortable in their own cabin. The children said, what happens, Daddy, if these people try and do something to us? And they were like, don't worry, Daddy will protect us. So Chad, that night or the next night, not sure which, was sitting with his friends on his porch. They were the ones camped there. The mother and the kids were inside, and they were just having a nice chat. It was about 9 or 10 at night. Remember, no streetlights. This is not a suburb. This is California, Sierra, very deserted cabins in the middle of nowhere. 9 or 10 at night, a car drove into the driveway, turned off their headlights, And of course, what did Chad do? He picked up his AR-15, which was next to him on the porch. Hey, he's a military ranger. He obviously saw a lot of things, and we're going to hear about how, you know, he was overseas. He killed people. There's a lot of stuff um, that goes into all that. He had the AR-15 with him on the porch. He shot a warning shot. And right away, whoever had pulled in sped away. But Chad was like, enough's enough. And when you listen to Dateline, you hear the children, the mother, multiple times, and him say, they were terrorizing us. They were terrorizing us. And that word terrorizing really does bring in this whole military mindset and that these people didn't have a stitch of peace because of this. Although when I'm seeing it, I'm like, okay, they keep driving away. They're little shitheads, you know. But Chad got into his truck and was like, I'm going to get their license. I'm going to go find them. Enough's enough. So he's driving down these windy, abandoned roads following this car, And suddenly, he sees some lights flicker, and he hears three shots coming towards him, and he's pissed. Then he sees, like, a big light shine in his eyes while he's finding these people. So he picked up his pistol that was next to him in his truck, held it out the window, and shot off a few rounds to hopefully... You know, in his mind and what he was saying, I would assume just deter these people, get them out of there. That's when the car threw out the solar lights. Remember that the night before, he had seen that one of his solar lights that you get at Lowe's for like $4.98 was missing. Then he saw them wave something outside of their window. He couldn't tell what it was but he was trailing them. He actually trailed them for 7.6 miles. I mean, that's a long way. Even if you're driving fast, a lot of this was dirt roads, abandoned roads. To keep going for nearly eight miles, that's a long way. Suddenly, the car in front of him, the one that he said was terrorizing him, took a turn onto a deserted road. There was a meadow that was there. So the car went all the way to where 
the road stopped and they couldn't go any further. And it did a 180. And Chad later said, the car pointed right at me. And according to my military training as a ranger, it's what you call escalation tactics. They were going to come straight at me. And I was feeling totally threatened. And that is when Chad took out his AR-15 that he had brought with him in the truck and shot at the car. He has no idea how many shots he did. It ends up that the car went next to him instead of hitting him or anything. And he knew he busted out the driver's side. He yelled at them, and they pulled to the side slowly, but in a way that you could tell something wasn't right. That's when he got out of his truck and went to them and was yelling to them, and he heard, and he later said that he heard someone said, don't kill us, and someone said, I have a three-month-old daughter. He knew, Chad knew, by looking at the driver, that one of the bullets had hit him in the neck. And he said, listen, I'm going to go get help, and I'm going to go find somewhere to call the sheriff. Now, remember that there was no coverage for cell phones here, so he actually would have to leave to get in touch with anybody. So he drove the 7.6 miles back to his cabin. And that's where he told the friends that were on the porch and his wife, I found them. I think I killed one of them. So once that news hit all of them, Chad and I think his wife, maybe one of the friends, had to drive nine miles to finally get somewhere with reception and call 911 for help. At first, Chad said he was going to send one of his buddies or maybe him back to the car to see what they could do to help the people in the car while the other person drove to call 911. But his friend said, no, don't do that. You don't know, you know what they had planned for you. So they didn't go help them, and it was about an hour and a half, I think, before anyone ended up getting to that car that was in the meadow. The weird thing was, or, you know, coincidental thing was, that the first person to respond was a game warden. Again, you're out in the boondocks, but who happened to be traveling with a photographer named Ben Staley, who was well-known for taking pictures of rural areas and so forth. So they were sort of going around together when this call came through. And it was pretty much chaos because the call came through from Chad that, you know, hey, we were being terrorized. I followed this car. They were shooting at me. I defended myself. I think one of them is shot. At the same time, they started getting another call from a campground that said, hey, two wounded men just wandered into the campground. And they're saying, please go help our friends. 
So there was a lot of chaos, and it was to the point that, you know, all the cops were being released and the sheriff's department and the troopers and even helicopters looking for these people, trying to figure out what's going on. And to the cops, they didn't even know if when they approached these people that there was going to be a shootout or what was going to happen. There was nothing that was clear. So finally, Chad said, hey, I'll, I'll lead you to where they are. So these cops were all ready and prepared. And remember that that photographer was with them. And that comes in very handy because there's full record of everything on video. You can watch the video where the officials approach the car that's just sitting there and doors are open. They only see maybe one person lying in the back and the cops start yelling, you know, hey, get over here. Two guys come out of the grass. Just to cut to the chase, there were six guys in that car. So two come out of the grass, and one's injured, and they stand in front of the cops, and the cops are, like, looking for their guns. They're, you know, cuffing them and everything, and then they see a hand go up in the tall grass. They go up to that guy. That guy's name is Justin Lewis Smythe. Could be Smith. And they saw he was severely injured. His whole thigh was just destroyed, and he put a belt around his leg. In the back seat, there was someone who was babbling, but definitely not in good shape. And they put it together by where they saw a gunshot that this must be the driver that they had perhaps laid in the back to maybe try and help him. The cops totally, you know, secured the scene and they helped the injured right away. And they also began looking for the weapons. Now, it was a big meadow and they also had, they had four of them, right? There were still the two that had walked or run to a campground. They could have easily had the weapons and discarded them anywhere along the way. So, of course, people are still on high alert. Cops are going to the campground. Cops are going to Chad's house. Cops are going to this area. Everything is just massive chaos, and they're going to find out what the hell these six guys were doing terrorizing this family. So take a breather right here. In, out. You've seen the scene. Now let's go on the other side and hear the version of the young men. Early 20s, I'm thinking. And we're going to hear it mostly from the Justin Lewis Smith, but he goes by Lewis. So now let's listen to Lewis's version. It was July 4th. There was a group of board friends. One was Rory McGuire. Rory was best friends with Lewis. And they had heard about a party because everyone but me was invited to parties when they were young. And so they were like, hey, let's go find that party. 
So they picked up whoever the other scragglers or people were. They picked them up, and there were six of them. And they drove out to some lake near there, and they were excited because they heard girls would be there. How sad. But, you know, youth. And they couldn't find it. And so this one guy said, well, hey, let me show you on the way here. There's this property, and there's this family, and they have a crazy sign out front. Let me go show it to you. So they go, and he shows him, shows the other guys this property. So they come to the edge of, you guessed it, the wall and reeds property, and they see a big sign in red lettering across the top. It says warning, and then in black bold letters, you are entering the ROC. What is that, you ask? Underneath in all caps is, this is a restricted area. Only red-blooded, patriotic, Christian Americans are authorized for access upon approval and verification of credentials by the commanding authority. A little below that, the use of deadly force is authorized for use on those found in noncompliance with the above. Now, later we find out when it says you're entering the ROC that that meant the Republic of Chad. So they saw, these kids saw that, and they're like, what wackos? Here, I dare you to get one of their cheap solar lights. So that was that first night, and they got the light, and they drove away. Well, the next night, they were still as bored and still had nothing to do and heard about another party. So they got a bunch of their friends again, and they went looking for that. Of course, the whole idea of maybe taking another light, one of the, you know, dipshit kids was like, that'll be hilarious. So they go back to the entrance and they do it again. However, that's when they hear a warning shot and they're like, let's get out of here. So they decided like, that's enough. Let's go. We've learned our lessons and they go speeding down the road. But the truck was getting closer and closer to them. And they had this spotlight that they'd been goofing off with also. So they tried blinding the light onto the person driving just to get them to pull over and stop. They tried calling 911 like, hey, you know, we effed up and this guy is chasing us. But of course, there was no reception. Finally, one of them said, hey, you, take off your white shirt and put it out the window, you know, to say, we surrender. We want this over. We're sorry. So that is what Chad ended up seeing that they held out, but he said he didn't know what it was. So they waved the white shirt, and they ended up throwing the lights, those solar lights, out of the car. To just be like, we're done, please. They keep speeding. They go those 7.6 miles. And Rory, the driver, takes a wrong turn. He should have waited a little while more, but he turned down the wrong road that led to a dead end. 
And if you remember in Chad's story, he was right behind them. He had shot his pistol a few times at the car, and that was it. And it was when they got to the inn and turned around that they were going to attack Chad, according to Chad. At that point, they said there was shots coming at them from all directions. There was glass everywhere, and the car finally rolled to a stop. And they couldn't get the car to start again. Whatever had happened, you know, he had shot something or whatever, and we'll find out what had happened. They couldn't get the car to stop. They couldn't escape. So some of the guys just ran out of the car. By that time... Lewis knew he had been shot in the leg, and he couldn't run anywhere. And he was telling his best friend, Rory, who was in the driver's seat, hey, we got to go, man, we got to go. And Rory just said he couldn't. And that's when his friend noticed he'd been shot in the back of the neck. So those two guys had to stay near the car, and that is when Chad, they said, got out of his car and was holding his gun up to them because they'd also, when they were driving and then then, had that green laser light going throughout their car, which they realized was, you know, a target. So they were freaking out, and they're saying, hey, hey, you know, we're sorry, we're sorry. Now, Chad had said he told the boys, hey, I'm going to go get you some help. But the boys said, we definitely didn't hear that come out of his mouth. What he told us was, if I ever see you mother buckers again, I'm going to kill you. So they were terrified to do anything. They were afraid he was going to come back at any minute. At that point, Lewis couldn't move his leg, and Rory, they had dragged into the back seat to see what they could do for him, and he was talking, but he wasn't making any sense at all. They also had said, Chad said, you're going to shoot at my house? You MFers are going to shoot at my house? I've got kids. And that is when Lewis looked at Chad and said, we never shot at your house. By the time the sheriff arrived, Rory was barely conscious and they airlifted him to a hospital. Also, Chad was being questioned, you know, to have him say what was going on, can you tell us, and all that. And they said, okay, we could not find any guns where they were. Did you see them throw their weapons out? And Chad was like, no, I never saw them throw them out. I don't know where the guns went. And they said, did you say that they shot at you? Because we don't see any marks on your vehicle or anything like that. And he's like, no, you know, I, I know that they shot at me. I heard it as an Army Ranger. I'm trained. I exactly know. And that is, of course, when Chad said again, you know, military taught him to react. He was just, his body had been trained to, quote, neutralize the threat. I'd killed people across the world. This is what you do. So one guy actually made Chad go on the path again and said, take me to where you guys started shooting each other. And he was like, okay, I took my pistol out here, and this is where I began to shoot. 
And they said, okay. And they were shooting at you. And he's like, yeah, I'm sure they did. And then you turned in here and they were shooting. Yes, I'm sure they were. And you shot them with what? The AR-15 or the pistol? The pistol. The pistol. Well, by the time they got to where the shooting happened, police had already been there and put out those little yellow markers everywhere there were bullets. And they were everywhere. And they even saw Chad see them and go, they're not going to believe this was a pistol. So he said, you know, it might have been my AR-15. Now, the reason he didn't want to say anything, obviously, about an AR-15 is because they're illegal in California, but they're not in Nevada where he bought it legally. You just can't take it into California when you go visit your cabin, which he had. When the guys were questioned immediately and later, where's the gun, where's the gun you were shooting, all of them said, we have no gun, we never had a gun. Absolutely no gun. What they did find in the meadow was the path of their car because at one point their car had hit a rock and it had busted their oil and the oil leak was just like this exact line where the police could follow how that car went. And not only did Chad chase them seven miles, but when they turned around and they were supposedly heading towards Chad and shooting, not only did they not find any other bullets, but they saw that the car had done a whole go-around half circle to get away from him and go around him because the oil mark left this big swing out. Now, Chad had said he had tried to go around them, but they found that his tire tracks were only in a straight line. Chad at one point had even said, if they never shot at me, why, there'd be no reason for me to shoot at them. They were terrorizing us. During the questioning of Chad, Rory ended up dying in the hospital. So not only did they recharge Chad, because they already had done, you know, shooting, recklessly having an AR-15, but now they charged him with premeditated murder. They set the bail at $1 million, which the family couldn't pay. And Chad was mad. He even said, listen, this isn't deserved. They scared my family. I am the head of my family. They shouldn't have the right to do that. And this goes back to our whole thing we talk about Christian nationalism and how it has changed in the last 20 years from love thy neighbor to God and guns, and how the people who say God will protect us are the first ones to start shooting at people. Either you believe he's protecting you or you don't, and you obviously don't. The way this family is in such fear and talks about all this terrorizing is so sort of hyperbole and blown out of proportion from they scared us to terror really shows what so many people in so many churches are learning. 
that people are after you, that they're going to take your guns, that you have to protect your family at all right, that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, that people are going to do all these things to you. You need an AR-15 and you need it on the porch. That was my thing. You're on the your own porch with your friends having a beer and you have an AR-15 next to you. Now, later they said, why do you have so many guns? And he said, you know, I like them. They're fun to have around. We understand that there is no like, let's pray about this situation. It's pick up a gun and chase these people down. Now, the people who were defending Chad said there were three shells found on the road that were not from his gun, and that proves that those boys did have a gun. But the other side said, yeah, they were grouped all together. There's no way if you're going 50 miles an hour and you shoot a gun three times, they're going to land nearly together. They would be spread out and bounce all over the road and all that. Plus, then they talked about, oh, well, there was gun residue on the boys from being, you know, having a gun. But they proved, no, that was the making up of gun residue from having the car shot into. During the trial comes the big twist, so to say. When they're conducting it, the prosecutor receives a letter that he had requested nine months before, and that was the military record of Chad. Because Chad was an Army Ranger, he'd shot people overseas, he'd this and that. A lot of the defense was, we have a lot of people returning from war, and there are a lot of mental issues with this. He opens it up and finds out Chad was never a ranger. He didn't finish his duty in the army. He was asked to leave for forging papers, for bringing in an unlicensed gun into the barracks, and for wearing a freaking ranger badge that he did not earn. He never fought. He never went overseas. He lied over and over to the cops. And one thing cops don't like is people lying about their time in the military because a lot of them had also served. During this time, of course, before the, the verdict came down, they asked the wife, what do you think is going to happen to him? And she said, the Lord told me that he'll be home. Again, it's a very conservative Christian family who has isolated themselves from the, quote, real world and feels the real world is deceitful, secular, of Satan, and are out to get them all the time. And they have morphed that and their Bible verses into something that is combative and violent. And that we've seen on January 6th and we're seeing in many other areas of the nation. When they asked Chad, what do you think is going to be the result of this? He said, I think I'm going to be spending the rest of my life in prison. When asked why, he didn't say because I deserved it, because I made a mistake, because I took someone's life, because my anger got the best of me. 
because I didn't believe in revenge is mine, saith the Lord. He said, because I've learned how much the criminal and legal system is screwed up and bad and working against innocent people. He got, I think, like an 84-year sentence. He'll be in there hopefully the rest of his life. I'm sure that his anger issues are somehow being worked out or beat out of him, and I'm sure he's part of the you know, population that goes to church and there, etc. I did look up the wife who, when you see her interviewed um, on Dateline, and I'll tell you which one it is, when you see her, she's got like a gritting her teeth, upset, yet broken look about her. I can only imagine, you know, you your husband does one thing and it destroys your family. She has changed her name a bit and not easy to find. And I also noticed that the kids are grown up um, and seem to be somewhat thriving, although I do not at all. As much as they defended their father, I don't feel bad for them. On the show, they were just crying. They didn't know what to do without their dad. And it wasn't like love, love, love. It was all about daddy protects us, daddy protects us. So just that mental thing, I can't imagine growing up with that all the time, which is the fear and threat of violence that's going to happen to you. Are the husband and wife still married because she's changed her name a bit? I couldn't find anything on that. I don't know. Um, So I'll just leave it at that. The jury and the court was held in Plumas County. And the name of the dateline was Miles from Nowhere, if you guys want to watch it. Thank you for listening and indulging me as I get my little true crime fix in here. And we'll be back to comedy and fun and crying over the state of the world and being depressed about it together. Next time on You Know What It Is. Love you guys. Thanks for showing up. And I will see you soon. Bye-bye.